I am continuing my uh, sermon series on ordinary people living ordinary lives who come in contact with an extraordinary God. And this past Tuesday, I was at a Bible study with other pastors in town, and one of the verses that we looked at was in the book of Amos. Um, And quite honestly, I've read the book of Amos. I mean, he's a prophet, one of the minor prophets, and for those of you who may or may not know, uh, minor doesn't mean that he's less. Minor simply means that his book, the book that was in the Bible, is smaller than the major prophets. The major prophets' books are long, the minor prophets' books are short. It's not that they're less or of any less importance. As a matter of fact, what I learned while I was studying this week is that this prophet named Amos was one of the oldest human beings who ever served as a prophet. He was one of the first prophets. He was a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah. He was also contemporary with the prophet Hosea. His book is only nine chapters long, and I can tell you that if you read relatively I mean, relatively quickly, and I'm not talking about speed reading, but if you, if you read it right at a good pace, you can finish the entire book of Amos in less than 20 minutes. It's not that hard. Now, the problem with Amos as you're reading it is there's a lot of prophetic words in it that then, because you don't know the situation that they were in or the people he was talking to, it doesn't really ring very true with who you are. I mean, they just, you don't, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's get through this, let's get through this. Okay, where's the stuff for me? But there's really, it's hard to read it and understand. Thankfully, I've had the benefit of other scholars who I've been able to read their work and it helped me to gain an understanding. But let me give you just a real quick synopsis of the book of Amos, because that's not the focus this morning, but it helps you to understand who I'm going to talk about. Um, Amos in his prophecy, in these nine chapters, talked to all of the surrounding nations around Israel and Judah. He was living at the, uh, around, uh, around, well, it was 3,000 years ago was when David lived. And he lived 250 years closer to our time. Okay? So he's, what, 1,775 years ago. Or something. No, 2,775 years ago. Is when he lived. Okay, so he um, he was living in Israel in the in the low. You know where the the, the desert the, the Dead Sea is in the southern part. There's the Jordan River. There's the Dead Sea, and just a little bit northwest of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem. And ten miles south of Jerusalem is a town called Tekoa, and that's where Amos was from. Amos was a a herdsman, a shepherd. A keeper of sycamore figs. And what, I'm, what he means by that is not that he kept fruit in a barrel or something, but that he had the trees that he maintained. Some scholars think that he was an, a landowner and that he managed a ranch. Others say no, he was just an ordinary shepherd, an ordinary worker for someone else. We don't know. We don't have a whole lot of evidence about who he was. But what we do know is that he had one of the, the first and, and strongest prophetic voices against what was going on in his time. He literally prophesied, and if you look at a map, I, I wanted to get a map up, but it's, it's so difficult with, with, uh, with the screen because it can't blow it up big enough. Um, if you were looking at a map, imagine I've got a map in front of me that you're looking at. Okay, I'm standing behind the map. 
Here's, here's the Jordan River. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, and over here is Egypt. Um, he prophesied here, here. I mean, against, not, not that he physically went there. He prophesied against this organization, this group, 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 this group. It's a circle all the way around, all, of Ju- all, of, all the way around Israel. And then he prophesied against Judah, because at this time Israel and, and Judah have separated. It's the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. And then he focuses finally on Israel. And so one scholar said it was as if he was tightening a noose around and pulling it tighter and tighter and tighter until Israel became the central focus. And what his main story was, was this. You people have gotten so affluent. You have so much that you have gotten to the point now where you're robbing the poor people and you're being careless about your religion and you're actually doing heinous things and thinking you're all holy and righteous because you're the chosen people of God. Well, I'm going to tell you something, people. God is fed up with it and he's not going to put up with it anymore. And what's going to happen right now, the word of God is, you're going down, Israel. There's going to come a point very shortly where our nation's going to come in and take you into captivity just like you were in captivity to Egypt. And then the last chapter says that there's going to be a remnant that gets spared. And eventually they'll be brought back to the land. And they'll be back with me and have blessing. But they will be only the people who truly love me and honor me and are willing to sacrifice all of their stuff for me. And it's a call to purity. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to... And it's a really cool book if you take the time to look at it. But there was one verse this morning, I mean this week, that as I was reading it, that gripped me and helped me to, to understand how he fits into this idea of ordinary people living ordinary lives that come into contact with an extraordinary God. And this is it. So if you open up your Bibles into Amos chapter 7, we're going to be focusing this whole morning on Amos 7 verses 14 through 16. And it says, um, in, in, in 14, it says, Amos answered and said to Amaziah. Now before we go too much farther, you need to know who Amaziah is. Amos was the prophet. Amaziah was the priest who was the, the chief priest in Israel's temple. Because if you remember, when the northern kingdom separated from the southern kingdom, Jerusalem had the temple, Solomon's temple, that, Israel, that Judah still, still worshipped in. But then the king of Israel actually erected a second temple at Bethel. And they had a, their, their religious center there because they couldn't go to Jerusalem anymore because they had, they had literally legally separated themselves. They were two separate kingdoms now. So they had set up a worship center at Bethel. And, the, and Amaziah was the priest there, the chief priest. And he comes to, Am- to Amos and he says, You get out of here. You have no business here. You're from Judah. Go back to preach at Judah. You don't have any business here at all. And he talks to the king, Jeroboam, and he says, this guy is, a, is ridiculous and a heretic and he doesn't need to be here. And he's literally putting all this pressure on the king and on Amos to knock this off. And Amos's words to Amaziah are, I was no prophet, nor was I a prophet's son. 
I was simply a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go and prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Now, think about this, okay? Amos is this schmo, just somebody living on his land, watching the sheep, cutting and pruning the sycamore figs so that they'll grow and produce and Maybe he was the owner of the property, maybe he wasn't, but he was just an everyday guy. We understand that he was probably one of the older of the prophets, which means he was probably 50, 60, 70 years old. So he had lived his whole life in an ordinary way, just doing his life. He said, I was not trained as a prophet. I'm not a prophet, I'm not a prophet's son. I'm just an ordinary guy. But verse 15, he says... But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, you go and prophesy. And when we were talking this week with the, with the, at the Bible study, we got onto the topic of God's call on somebody. There's a, there's a term called vocation. It comes from the Latin word vocare. It means to call. It literally means you're called out. Now, quite often, people think of a calling as a minister, a priest, a nun, someone who's called to a religious life. And that's not an inappropriate way to define vocation. But the reality is, vocations isn't limited to just religious people. Vocation is... God calling you to whatever God is calling you to. Now, in my case, and I can only speak from my case, I can remember when I first felt the call of God on my life to be who I am today. I got, when, I, when I was 16 years old, a friend of mine said to me, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I'm a Christian. I was brought up in the church. And she said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I was like, what? And she helped me to understand what it meant to not just go to church, but actually be real with my, with my faith, with God. And it took about three weeks for me to wrestle through that. And finally, I came to the point where I said, yes, I want to be a servant of Jesus for the rest of my life. I confess my sins. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord and my God, and I will serve you for, with all that I am. And I didn't really understand what I was doing. I was just going with what people told me you're supposed to do. And now I'm a Christian. I'm walking around trying to be a good Christian, reading the Bible and praying and going to church. But something inside of me, at the age of 16, 16 and a half, something inside of me was saying, and I, the way I used to describe it was I said, I want to be more than just average Joe Christian. I want to do something for God with my life. I want to, I want to be a, live a life in such a way that I point people to God. That's what I want with my life. See, when I was 16 years old, before I got saved, I was on a path to be a professional entertainer. That's what I wanted to do. I had friends who already had their portfolios and their agents, and they were doing commercials. I had this one friend that did this Burger King commercial, and they got residuals. Every second time the commercial was shown, they got a, they got a payment. And it was like $20 or $30 a month. It's money. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. 
And I, from the time I was in third grade, I was in plays, and I, was in, I had been in some television stuff, and I had done some voiceover work, and this is what I wanted. But you see, and this is what I was talking with Emily about, my focus when I first came to know Christ was, I want to make a name for myself, I want to be famous, I want to have... And this thing that was inside of me, after I came to know Christ, was... I want, to know, I want people to see God. And I couldn't understand it. It took me almost three years to be able to finally, through counseling and talking, I don't mean professional counseling, I mean counseling with my pastor and fellow Christians, but I finally came to understand that this thing that was inside of me, making me feel what I wanted to do, this was God calling me to a life of vocational ministry. Now, for a number of years, and Renee can tell you, for a number of years, I still had a blending of the two. For a number of years, I would still get involved with community theater. And I was, when we were living in the Philippines, I was the president of the local community theater group on the base. And I was actively involved. I was directing shows. I was acting in them. Um, I was even asked to, to be the lead for a, a, a parade that we were being asked to participate in for the... Uh, for the government of the Philippines, the President Marcos and his wife were having this huge parade and they asked for some Americans. And I was the point of contact and I was going to make all the arrangements and it was all, it was so glorious. And at one point, God said to me, because I prayed, I said, God said, do not, act, do not audition for that part. It was the part of Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof. I've always wanted to play Tevia. Always. And now I'm fat enough and old enough I could look like him. Back then I didn't. But I wanted to play Tevia. And I prayed, and the Lord said, no, don't do this. And I did anyway. You know what I said to God? I tell you what, I'll audition for the part, and if you don't want me to get it, just close the door. So I shoved that door open in my own will, and I auditioned for the part. And I didn't get Tammy. I got another part in the show. And the end result was, after it was all said and done, I came that close, that close to having an extramarital affair as a result of the relationships that were developed in that show. I almost trashed my relationship with my wife and my family because of my rebellion against God, because I wanted to do something. So what God did for two solid years, I couldn't pray. I mean, I prayed, but like, nothing happened. I couldn't hear God. It was like there was this brass ceiling keeping me from talking to God. And I, I would go to the altar at church. I would talk with missionary friends. I'd talk to my pastor. I don't know what's wrong. I just can't. I can't. And, and finally, after two years, I was at the altar one Sunday morning and I was on my face crying out, God, I, I just don't sense your presence. And I, I can't hear your voice and I don't know what's wrong. God, if there's anything in my life that is not confessed to you, I give it to you now. My sin, whatever it is, God, just show it to me so I can repent. Anyway, right there to that moment of rebellion. And I said, but God, I, I confessed that a long time ago. He said, yeah, but you never repented of it. What? Yeah, you, you said you're sorry. You wanted forgiveness, but you never promised me you'd never do it again. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I promise you I never, ever, ever will do that ever again. He said, fine. But you can never do theater again either. What? God, you can't do this to me. You can't take that away from me. That's my life. And God said, exactly. Because that's your God, Bob. 
And so God had to break things in my life in order to be God. Because I wasn't willing to let him be God. And the end result was God was calling me to something greater. Now I'm allowed to use all of my gifts and talents for him. I can do anything for him. If I was asked to be on TVN Channel 4 and go and perform, I could do that. But I cannot go to the community theater and do it. Because that would be sin for me. And what I see here with Amos, he had a choice when God said, I need you to go be. He could have said, ah, I got a good life here. I got my sheep. I got my trees. Life is really good. I don't need to go and put myself in the forefront up there. And you know what they're going to do. They're not going to receive anything I say. They're going to get mad at me. They're going to possibly even cut my head off. I don't need to do this. Find somebody else. He could have done that. But his words were, the Lord took me from following the flock. See, that's more than just a suggestion. That's more than God saying, hey, I think this would be good for you. That's literally God going, come here, I need you. And Amos going, okay, okay, I'll go. But the cool thing about it is once he willingly submitted and got involved with the calling that God had given him, he walked in an authority that he never would have experienced before. He stood before the king of the nation and the high priest of the nation and he said, you people are being condemned by God Almighty. Not by me, by God Almighty. Where would that authority come from? Where would that chutzpah come from? Where would that, that ability to look somebody in the eye who is so much greater than you? This is an ordinary guy coming out of the fields, coming up. He wasn't a trained prophet. And saying, this is wrong and you need to change because God says so. And when he's confronted, when he's confronted, he says, I'm no prophet. I'm not even a prophet's son. I'm just a herdsman and a dresser of signal figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock. The Lord said to me, you go prophesy to my people Israel. So now, listen to what the Lord has to say. There's an authority there that he walks in because he knows who he is in God and is very much in the very center of God's will. You see, when you're in rebellion against God, like I was, you have no ground to stand on. Everything's shaky. But when you submit yourself to the Lordship of God and allow Him to be God, you can walk in power. You don't have to fear. You can go beyond what you normally would do, doing it in His strength and in His power. There is a video that I want to show you guys. And uh, go ahead and pull it up. It's about three minutes long, but I love it.
Years ago, when I first came to the Church of the Nazarene, I was taught that as Christians, our sins are forgiven, and we are in right relationship with God, and we have our ticket to get into heaven. But there's also a calling of God to live a pure and holy life. That he will, by his Holy Spirit, empower us to do that. But in order to do this holy thing, we have to be willing to give up what, what some of the old-timers used to call the unknown bundle. Mary's shaking her head. She's heard that term before. The unknown bundle. And that literally means walking up to God and saying, I don't know what's in this, God, but I'll give it to you, all of it. 100%. All my all of my future. Anything you ask of me, the answer is yes. And then the old timers would say, but don't give, don't give it to God that way because it's still in your hands. Give it to God that way. Everything. Not just your past, not your, just your present, but your future. And in so doing, He becomes the Lord of your life. You see, I believe the story of Amos tells me, shows me, that any human being, when they come in contact with God, can be brought up to do incredible and powerful and great things for God and change the world, literally, if they will simply obey and allow God to be Lord. I could go back and say, you know, God, if I hadn't been disobedient with my theater, maybe you could have raised me up to be a world-famous actor for you? I'll never know at this point. It's way, way past. But I think about wherever I'm at, I can turn to God and say, at this moment I give it back to you. It's yours. I, I was for a while, I had pulled it back and I was holding on to it, but now I'm giving it back to you, God. And I want you to continue to be my Savior, my Lord, my God. I will do whatever you ask of me. And that calling that's on my life can come into play. And the thing I wanted to say as I close this, each one of you, each one of you have a calling. I mean, you work in public assistance. You work assisting people with special needs. You're retired teachers. But you've worked in, in, in the university, there's an actor present, there's a retired uh, jack-of-all-trades, and a current sharpener, a saw sharpener. All of us have paths that we've taken. All of us have walked a certain way. Whether we were following God's lead or just simply our own heart, the bottom line is, at this moment in time, God is saying to you, I desire you. And you have an opportunity right now to say, God, whether or not the path I've been on has been your plan, I want from this moment on for that path to be yours. From this moment on, I want to be your person. Whether it's the very first time you've ever given your heart to Christ or asked Him to cleanse you from your sin, or whether it's the hundred millionth time you've had to come back to Him and say, I picked it up again, God, and I don't want it, I want it to be yours. You can do it at this moment. And the end result is he can literally change the world through you. All you have to do is be willing to submit and allow him to be God.
That's what I learned by reading Amos this week. I think it's a pretty cool story. Let's pray. Father God, we give you glory and praise and honor for who you are. We thank you for the evidence that we have in the Bible that you're very real. And we thank you, God, that you interact with us on a daily basis and all we have to do is listen. We thank you, Father, for the promise that your Holy Spirit will ever be present with us, that you will empower us to work the work that you have for us. And Father, I am so thankful that you called me out of where I was going and set me in a very good place. And I'm thankful for the walk that we've shared for all of these years. And I, God, I, right now I just ask that you would do the same for every single person in this room and anyone that's listening to my voice by way of the internet. Lord Jesus, may you become their God. May you become their Lord. And may they change the world for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.